shit, these are real life SVU episodes. Yeah. Yeah, they are. Yeah. And don't listen if you don't want you fucking prick. Jeez. <laughs> Welcome to SVU Pod, especially him. <laughs> no, that was... <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to SVU Pod, especially heinous. I'm Tasha. I'm Gabe. <laughs> and I'm Gabe. <laughs> we are still in our intermish mini sods. Nope. Uh, before we get started, we're going to do our thing. Follow us on Instagram. Oh my God, and now Twitter, because we have Twitter now. Yeah. Twat us on Twitter. Both of them are at SVU Pod. Join our Facebook group. Send us an email, svupod at gmail.com. Rate us, review us, subscribe. Send us compliments, ghost stories. I can't push this enough, the ghost <laughs> stories. When we got a plethora of emails from you guys. A plethora is like a plethora, except it's made out of plethora. vinyl. <laughs> One stuck out from this guy named Wade Woods. It's He doesn't have to be anonymous. He sent an email about this crazy experience he had when he was in eighth grade with his dad. And so I'm going to read it. Just so you guys know, like we're going to have a bunch of information after this regarding the entirety of the case in Wisconsin. But this is strictly from Wade's perspective. And the descriptors are a little graphic. Yeah. Just like a heads up. Heads up. I'm just I'm going to read it. As he wrote it. Yeah. So when I'm saying I, I'm talking, I'm, I'm, I'm Wade Woods. When I was in eighth grade. That- Wait, you or? <laughs> <laughs> when I was in eighth grade, my father took me hunting for the first time. It was fall and we were going squirrel hunting. I had an uncle that lived in Harmony Grove right outside of Lodi and he told us about some public hunting land in the area. Not really keen on killing things, we went out into the woods. We sat in the woods for a good hour or so. During this time, we never saw a squirrel but heard many bullets buzzing over our heads. Speaking of buzzing, Wade couldn't come to do this because he had to relocate his bees. Yeah. What? Wade Woods owns Honeybee Cannabis Company, LLC. People will call in and be like, there's a bunch of bees in my tree. And then he'll like get them and like bring them. And gently take them. To his hives. Aw. Yeah. And then they make like healing CBD stuff. Wait, are the all bees, do all bees do that? No, no, that was a stupid. Like if somebody's like, I've got bees. And he's like, those are wasps. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Just peels out of her driveway. Does a donut in her frame. (laughs) Give her the finger the whole time. She's like, Wade Woods, what the fuck? He's screaming out the window, call me when you got some honeybees, bitch! Um, Woo! Just throws like a big gulp out the window. But no, he does do a lot of like really good stuff. He's very, he's very passionate about it too, which is pretty cool. Not liking the buzzing bullets and being bored, we decided to move to a different area. As we were walking, we came over this big hill slash ravine. In the distance, there appeared to be a dead deer carcass that was hard to make out. As we approached, it was still hard to make out what it was we were looking at. When we got about two feet from what was a woman's corpse that had parts of her face and body eaten off by scavenging animals. This was when my dad told me to walk the other way because he did not want me to see the scene, but it was already too late for that. Her plaid shirt had burst every button due to bloating. This is when I noticed the animals had already started to pick her apart. Freaked out, we drove to my uncle's house. There was no cell phones then and called the authorities. My dad went back to the scene and met local authorities along with the FBI. Holy shit. About 30 minutes later is when my dad and an FBI agent returned. This is when they took both my dad's and my shoes so they could rule out our footprints from the scene. They told us that late fall night that if we hadn't found her, there was a good chance she would have never been found as animals would have picked her apart Mm. and 
and dispersed her body throughout the woods. We came to find out she was a woman from Eau Claire that drove across state to help her boyfriend escape from the Winnebago prison. On the way back, he took off his shoelace and strangled her and then drug her out into the woods. That like gets me every time. Yeah. Sorry. Needless to say, I've never been hunting again. That late fall day in the woods was all the death I needed to see. Fast forward three and a half years down the road and one day we, we get a package in the mail. It was my dad's and my shoes from the day we drove home in our socks. Being the storyteller I am, none of my friends believed me till it was on the f- news stations the next day. Thanks, Wade. That's fucked up. Thanks, Wade. That was super fucked up and terrible to now be aware of. You know what sucks too is he didn't, I'm sure he didn't fit in those shoes anymore. Is that the part that sucks, Gabe? That's the worst part of the whole story. So we actually tried to do a little research on the, like, because we were like, what's the lady's name? We had him ask his dad. We couldn't figure it out at all. Yeah. And I even had like some friends that have like weird, to me, they have like weird internet clearance. <laughs> yeah. And they were like, I have no idea. And so then we almost didn't do it because we couldn't find any articles or anything. And it just felt really schadenfreude and gross to tell the story without telling her story or saying her name. And then freaking Alana, you guys. We interviewed Alana last week, the victim's advocate and founder of the Buried Cold Cases group. And I spoke with her afterward. We were talking about when we were going to put it out. And I said, well, we had this other story that we recorded, but we can't find any information on it. So we don't feel super comfortable if we're not representing the actual victim in that story. So she offered to take a look at it to see if she could find anything. And just she the found, email, just the fucking email that we had from she Wade. She found everything. Yeah, within like three minutes, right? <laughs> oh my God, she she's just like this, bing, 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 bing. I'm like, you're a fucking detective, dude. Yeah. She was able to piece together basically the entire story of what had happened to this woman who would have ended up like one of her cold cases. Yeah. Because she was just gone. Yeah. So thank you so much, Alana, for doing that. All of this information is directly from what yeah. she found for us. We love Alana. We love Alana. Join her Facebook group. I've been like excited for days to hear what you put together. Well, just like everything else, Gabe, you're going to get pissed. So her name was Katherine Davison. Okay. She was from Eau Claire. She was 33 and a mother of three. She had mm. a 13-year-old, an 8, and a 5-year-old. Her boyfriend, Mark Humphrey, was 24 and was serving time for burglary at Winnebago Drug Abuse Correctional Center in I've Oshkosh. Never, I've never even heard of that. Which is a minimum security prison. And who knows? Maybe, maybe like, is it there anymore? I don't know. I didn't look into that if it's still there. But Winnebago Drug Abuse Correctional Center. So it's it's a prison. It's at the prison, but it was probably like a certain part of it. Oh, I wonder if that was like what Huber was. Remember Huber? Well, they snuck out of the prison. Minimum security is like the doors aren't even locked until a certain certain time of day. Huber was a work release jail. Huber is a program. It's not like one specific jail. You can get Huber from any jail. Oh, well, <laughs> I had a friend that I was in art class with in high school that was on Huber yeah. and he would like bring his paper bag lunch from jail into class and he would like joke about the food. He's like, yeah, there's a bologna sandwich. My mom made it. Just kidding. An officer made it. Hmm. Just kidding. Another prisoner made it. <laughs> he had a mandatory release date of February 27th, 2000. Oh, okay. Okay. Her ex-husband. So he was going to be, he was going to be in there for a while. Well, it was 1996. The escape was September 29th of 1996 so he had a decent amount of time left but like not if you turn around and then get charged with murder it's not that much time oh like five yeah it was like five years yeah he had like four and a half years left I wonder what he did originally. Burglary. Oh, yeah. So Catherine's ex-husband, Lynn Davison, said that she had known Mark Humphrey for about three years. She and Lynn had been divorced for about seven years. And her friend and neighbor, Misty Zempel, is quoted as 
to sing, she loved him to death. She would do anything for him, speaking about Mark. Mm -hmm. Also, this is something that was throughout a lot of articles, but there was one that actually is um, quoted from the Columbia County District Attorney that there was no evidence that she helped them escape. Okay. Mark Bennett was the Columbia County District Attorney, and he said, from what we can tell, she met them in Oshkosh and was unaware of what was going on. Okay. Then I have this kind of timelined out. September 29th, Catherine called Misty crying. This is a quote from Misty. She told me she was going to leave. She said that he really needed her. Also on September 29th, Catherine's boyfriend, Mark, and another fucking gem, Jesse J.R. Hummich, who was 19, he was serving time for being a party to child abuse. The specifics of it is he participated in a gang-related beating of a 16-year-old. He had a mandatory release date of January 29th, 1998. He had a year and a half left and he escaped and killed a woman because he's fucking stupid. What the fuck? And awful. Yeah, a year and a half. Fucking 19. So then on September 30th, the next day, her ex-husband, Lynn, said that Catherine didn't pick up the kids from school as scheduled, which was very odd. Yeah. Catherine's father said that this was the last day he received any correspondence from her. I guess that day she had sent him a letter from a Howard Johnson hotel, but there was no information on the contents of the letter. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it was just probably postmarked that day, which makes sense that she would be at a hotel. So this all came from some point in the first week after their escape. Her maroon car was spotted, spray-painted black, Mm-hmm. Like, if you're going to do a bunch of fucked up shit, steal someone else's car. Yeah. I don't know. I'm not about to critique these fucking idiots because everything they do is stupid and awful and evil. A week after the two men escaped, police saw them at a mobile home, followed them, and witnessed them tossing a coat and a billfold, which they immediately went and took out of the trash and saw that it had Catherine's bank cards and a photo of Catherine and fucking Mark. Because not only is this guy evil as shit, again, he's stupid as shit. What the fuck? Oh my God. Orgy of evidence. Jesus fucking Christ. So that was at some point in the first week. October 4th. A picture of them? Yes. Oh, man. Just wait. October 4th, Mark and Jesse were found at a Decorah trailer park. These guys were chased down from the mobile home in Decorah in a high-speed chase and were captured four hours later. During that high-speed chase, the escapees ran a police car off the road, then eventually These fucking guys. were fleeing on foot. Of course. So, yeah. We can outrun him, man. Let's just do it. Come on. Let's just get to the woods. <laughs> what woods? <laughs> Wait, what? Woods? Yeah. So then on October 7th, Catherine is reported missing by her family. Mm. This is about a week after she doesn't pick up her kids. So then on October 13th, Catherine's body is found by Bruce Woods and his 14-year-old son, Wade. Yeah. In a Decorah Township woodlot. What about the uncle? There was an article that detailed what they did. So it was they found Catherine and they went to Wade's uncle's house, which was nearby. Mm-hmm. And it was a whole article that... Yeah. Um, went into more detail about what they did in response. So Catherine was then able to be identified only through fingerprints. That was October 13th. On October 15th, Jesse confesses to the crime because he's 19 and they probably put a teaspoon of pressure on him. And they're like, Mm -hmm. hey, we found this fucking body of this lady with all of this other evidence, you dumbass. Like, um, He's like, we killed her. I'll tell you the whole story. Also, like, I'm glad that he broke so quickly because then this woman's family could have some answers even though all of it fucking sucks. Yeah. The... Details of her murder were from Jesse testifying at Mark's preliminary hearing. 
Okay. He said that they robbed and strangled Davison in her own car. Jesse put a bootlace over Catherine's head because Mark told him to. And then both men pulled on the strap until the <gasps> victim's face turned blue. Are you fucking kidding said. me? Oh my God. What the fuck? Can you just even, I can't even imagine like yeah. her. And what ha- what happened was. Like is she they, has a picture of you in her fucking wallet, you fuck. Yeah. They said there was something else that said that gave a little more detail that he had, that Mark was like, okay, we're going to rob her. And Jesse's like, okay. And he was sitting in the back seat. Yeah. And Mark was driving and he put the shoelace around her neck from behind and was choking her. They said, give us your your wallet and your whatever. And she did. And Mark yelled, don't let up. And so he continued to choke her. And then Mark helped him choke her yeah. until, or strangle her with the shoelace. With or the shoelace. Boot, bootlace. Bootlace until, until she was dead. Oh my God. Okay. So they make a deal. Jesse agreed to plead guilty to first degree intentional homicide with the idea that he testifies against Mark and gives up all of this information and in return they don't put a limit on his parole so he could be eligible after 20 years spoiler alert it's 24 years later and he's still in prison the state originally recommended 60 years with parole eligibility after 30 Mm -hmm. so this is a fraction of a better deal but it's something because you know if he was able to get out after 20 years then he's only only 39, you know? Oh, that's right. He's like 19. Yeah. Yeah. So how old is he now? He would be 43. Mm, what a fucking idiot. Yep. So I sea capped both of these guys. In Wisconsin, CCAP is just where you can look up somebody's record. Like public record, yeah. Yeah, it's the public record. So I don't know if it's called different things in different states. So I CCAPed Mark and he's in prison, but he's appealing his ass off. Like it was just just like one thing after the other. So he's just exhausting the court system. For Try- what? He's just appealing. He's appealing for, I don't know, something to do, people to hang out with. <laughs> Fucking <laughs> who knows? He's just trying to be able to get parole. Mm-hmm. He was just recently denied again, and he had gone to the state Supreme Court because uh, he was denied his application for parole. And so then he was going to the Supreme Court to try and get that overruled and whatever. And they're all like, no, Mark, you're staying in prison. Then I see Cap Jesse, and he's still in prison. Like, he's not doing any kind of appeals or anything. I wonder if that was part of his agreement because it was like he went to prison and then that's that's it. There's like no notes about that. Yeah. So the only thing I could find was his parole slash release consideration, which was filed in March of 2018. I'm assuming it just got denied. There was no more information on there about his release, but it also I couldn't find anything about him being released. Yeah. So they're still in prison but here's the thing that really besides her being are they in portage then probably no they're both in different um they're both in different prisons in wisconsin i didn't put down where they were but jesse's in like um sterling and mark is somewhere else up north Hmm. but i got really pissed just and alana did too she was like of all the articles and stuff that i've read the descriptors they use to paint a picture of Catherine as a person are bullshit. What do you mean? Well, here's a quote. Having allegedly courted a relationship with the 245-pound Davison while in prison, prosecutors claim Humphrey arranged for the woman to drive to the Oshkosh facility to pick up the two convicted felons. Why? What does that have to do with anything? It has nothing to do with anything. It has absolutely nothing to do with anything. Fuck you, Stephen Elbow of the Portage Daily Register. And then I was telling Abby about this. So Abby is our behind-the-scenes gal. Is that what we're calling her? Yeah. She's our behind-the-scenes gal on the street. Abby on the beat. (laughs) 
actually be Alana on the beat because she's the... So Abby does like our website and Twitter and stuff that we um, don't want to do that she's super good at. Yeah. So hi, Abby. We love you. I was telling Abby about this and she's like, hang on a second. And then she Facebook stalked the shit out of him and found that he's still a journalist, but he's actively protesting in support of Black Lives Matter. And he was at a women's rally, but kind of he's still doing journalism stuff, but he's painting those events favorably. So I'm like, oh, I don't want to shit on him too much then because maybe he's better than he was 24 years ago. Yeah. So let's just hope that that's the case. But fuck you, 1996 Stephen Elbow. Yeah. You make it too easy with that name, dude, by the way. It's like, you know, how bigger women don't have worth. That's what it felt like it was. As much worth. So it's like. He wasn't like David Crosby mustache looking motherfucker Mark Humphrey. Yeah. When he could have. Yeah. But also there's more. It's almost like he was like trying to remind everybody that, yeah, she got murdered, but like it doesn't matter that much. NBD. NBD. She was a chubby. There was more than one article with descriptors for Catherine. Both of them that had the worst descriptors were written by Stephen Elbow. So that's why fuck you. Yeah. But some of the words to describe her were 245 pounds, unemployed, not disabled, but substantially overweight and receiving social security. None of this stuff applied to the case mm-hmm. and none of it respected a person who was murdered. Yeah, that's A mother of up. three kids who was murdered. But I will give credit to her ex-husband, Lynn Davison, I don't know what their relationship was like. There wasn't a whole lot, but he never said anything shitty about her. At least that was printed. Really? And this is another reason why it pissed me off that like, it's like, I get it that you're a journalist and you're trying to describe somebody or you're trying to use whatever words that you have available to describe somebody. But Todd Hafer of the Northwestern had this quote from her ex-husband. She was outgoing and always took care of the kids. She was always doing projects with them. And then he kind of went on to say other things about her disappearance. There were those descriptors too, that she she was a devoted mother. Like yeah. that could have been. She's a human being. Yeah. Like just any, you know what I'm saying? Like sure those were words that were a part of her life but were completely unnecessary. Yeah. That had nothing to do with her murder or really who she was and don't honor her in any kind of way. Th- those types of words are used to. Minimize the impact of her life. To and discredit, like that's the kind of shit they use to discredit people in like court and stuff. Like, mm-hmm. well, they can't, you know, she's overweight. So she's this and like. Ooh, and she you was know. on social security, but she wasn't disabled. So. No, she got fucking murdered. Like, what are you doing? Yeah. Why are you doing this? Right. Why are you fucking doing this? Fuck those people. Fuck them. What the fuck? Okay. But here's another. Sorry. So there was just some more from her ex-husband. They divorced in 1989, seven years prior to this happening, like I said before. After Catherine was murdered, her ex-husband took custody of their oldest daughter, who was 13, and then the eight and the five-year-old went into foster care. What? Well, they had a different dad, and I think that... I think that it's really tough if you are not blood-related to obtain custody. So I don't want to shit on her ex-husband because he very well may have tried to get custody of them. And because of red tape and whatever, it can be really, really difficult to almost impossible for you to get custody of kids that are not yours. But the hardest part is, and again, I can't like judge, but there's uh, there were other blood relatives and those kids still went to foster care. That's what, yeah. So I don't know what ended up happening with those kids. Now they're adults, yeah. but... Well, now I get why, yeah, he probably didn't know, really know those kids. He just knew them. They well, and he had no legal no legal right to them. Yeah, they never like all lived together. No. Yeah, I, so I get it now, yeah. Yeah, so that's, there's so many sad parts of it. And like this 13-year-old, 
those that's her brother and sister. And it's like, bye, you know? Yeah. You know, it would be magical is if the 13-year-old emancipated herself when she was 16 and then was able to obtain custody of her siblings. That sounds really hard for a 16-year-old. It sounds really hard. Well, I mean, it would be really hard, but... Maybe, maybe she figured out where they went and kept in contact or... Can we look them up? Oh my God. If we couldn't find this stuff, we're not going to find them. Well, if we have their names. We don't. Those are minors. There's no getting their names. Call Alana. Alana? (laughs) Alana? (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. That's it. So... Thanks for sending that in, Wade. Thanks for sending that in, Wade, and depressing the shit out of everybody. Yeah. And Lana, thanks for doing all the heavy lifting. (laughs) Yeah. Ew. You. (laughs) (laughs) So next week we have... (gasps) I know. I'm so pumped. We have an incredible story that we're going to have to break up into multiple parts. Yeah. Don't give them any, no, anything. No details. No hints. No hints. Just freaking tune in because it's... It's an insane, insane series of events. Um, so we're going to have another guest and she's going to tell us this fucked up story. Well, whatever. Love you. Bye. No, no, no. Oh. So <laughs> we've got a website now. There's links to everything. So you can follow us on Instagram, follow us on Twitter at SVU Pod. Join our Facebook group. Email us, svupod at gmail.com. That's it, right? That's it for now. That's what we've got for now. Yeah. All right. Love you. Bye. Bye. Love you. Bye. I'm too rattled to even like think of a Look, joke for that. Coffee? Yeah. Huh. It's fine. Looks like we're even. You're coffee rattled. I'm hungover. <laughs> I'm not that bad anymore, though. I woke up at like six and I was like, Gabe. And I drank some water. And I'm like, don't be a sloppy hungover mess. And she's like, I only ate a turkey croissant yesterday, so that's why I got super drunk. <laughs> I'm like, oh, it's not because it's not you stood of- in front of your fridge pounding Goldschlager. <laughs> Ew. Ew. Oh, I feel sweaty. <laughs> I think mammals. I wish my five year old was here because he'd be like, a Titanoboa is not a dinosaur mom. It's a prehistoric reptile. (laughs) You dumb bitch. (laughs) I knew. I was like, I'll ignore it. She'll stop. (laughs) Then we made eye contact. (laughs) We will be back next week with. We will. Be back. (laughs) (laughs) We'll be back. I like that. (laughs) (laughs) I liked that. (laughs) 